exclusive podcast from Impact 89 FM. WDBM East Lansing. 89 FM. The Impact. And now, Impact Exposure. Exposure gives a voice to our community and provides a forum for discussing the relevant issues of today. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, this is Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. Tonight on the show, we will be talking about Middle of the Mitten with special guests, um, including uh, uh, we'll be talking with um, American Opera as well as Gun Lake. Also on the show, we'll be talking about the Facility for Rare Isotope Beams, or FRIB, as well as MSU Beyond Coal. But first, in news today, in world news, the Western Arab drive to adopt a UN resolution on Syria is a path to civil war, the Russian deputy foreign minister said, according to the BBC. The latest draft on the resolution strongly condemns violence and human rights abuses by the Syrian government and calls on countries to stop the flow of arms to Syria without imposing an arms embargo. The resolution came amid rising violence in Homs, a Syrian center of opposition to President Bashar Assad's regime. The UN estimates that more than 5,000 people have been killed since last March in the Syrian government crackdown against protesters. The draft resolution demands that Assad... Uh, halt the crackdown and implement an Arab League peace plan calling for him to hand over power to his vice president, according to The Independent. And in national news today, Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney is hoping for a big win over Newt Gingrich in Florida, high-stakes primary election, according to the BBC. The former Massachusetts governor had a solid double-digit lead in yesterday's opinion polls in Florida. The swing state, which could provide pivotal in November's election, is the fourth and largest state so far to hold a primary election. And in Michigan news today, an end-of-the-year campaign finance statement shows Governor Rick Snyder took hundreds of thousands of dollars from his campaign account last year. He used the money to primary to primarily repay himself for cash he lent the campaign while running for office, according to Michigan Public Radio Network. Governor Snyder worked for just $1 last year, but he did take more than $800,000 from his campaign account to partially pay for himself back for $6 million in loans from his personal fortune to his campaign. The numbers are unusually large, but it is a common practice for politicians to lend their campaign money and then repay themselves after the election. And now on the phone is uh, John B. He's the man behind American Opera, and he'll be closing uh, the Middle of the Mitten show on Friday at Scene Metro Space. Scene Metro Space, excuse me. Middle of the Mitten is a music festival going on this weekend in Lansing, and uh, Friday shows are at Scene Metro Space, and we'll move to the Loft in Lansing on Saturday night. So welcome to the show, John B. Thanks, Emily. Thanks for having me. So first off, how would you describe American Opera? Um, it's Indie folk rock is the best way I can describe it because there's, uh, there's folk acoustic elements and then there's indie rock elements, and I like to yell, so that's where the rock part comes in. Interesting. So is it is it um, a band or is it kind of your name for this this um, for you you're performing? Well, I I uh, write all the music and I play all the instruments and stuff, but uh, the the goal is of course to get a full band behind me because this nothing like live music. I, I enjoy playing solo shows, but I'd much rather have some of my friends up there jamming with me, you know what I mean? Yes, indeed. So so is this is is, is American Opera kind of an ultra-ego type of type of name for you then? No, I just didn't want to name the, the project after myself, really. I see. Okay. So you were in a band called Your Best Friend um, before this. Tell me about that band and how it compares and contrasts to American Opera. 
Uh, I started that band when I was 18 years old, and we toured for the better part of five years in that band, and that was more rock-influenced, and that was uh, like a progressive indie rock band, um, taking influence from Jimmy Eat World, Save the Day, Cursive, those kind of bands, um, whereas American Opera is uh, more folk-oriented, more laid back. There's, uh, it's much more acoustic-driven than it is rock-driven. And, and what made you want to do the switch to a more folk or acoustic um, type of genre? You know, I, I didn't really uh, do it consciously. It was more of it just naturally happened. I, I was playing in Your Best Friend for years, and we toured all the time, and I, I love touring. It's my favorite thing to do is, you know, play music in a different city every single night and travel with my friends. But um, over time, not everyone wanted to tour that much, so I started writing these songs on the side so I could tour when Your Best Friend was not touring. And then when that band uh, ended, when we broke up, I just took this more full-time. And do you prefer playing in a band or playing solo? Definitely playing in a band. It's, you know, your friends are up there. you got someone to keep you company on the long drives, and it's more of a, a community. You know, it's more of like a, a family thing instead of just being up there by yourself. So to get our listeners um, acquainted with you and your music, we're going to play um, a track off your album. This is called Spoons and Knives. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this song before we play it? Um, I, I don't really know what to say other than I hope you guys enjoy it. Okay, so here is an excerpt of the song Spoons and Knife by American Opera. That demon on my shoulder tells me that it's almost over. Lost and cannot be found The angel whispers in my ear To repent and be sincere Take my place in the clouds But I, I know you know I won't tell the truth so don't you bother waiting There's no way you can save me I'm telling you that it's no use Dear brother, is it wise to know The whispers from the angel There's still time to break through So clean the spoon Time to set the table Comfort is coming soon But I, I know you Won't change anytime soon So I'll pull up a chair And I will watch you as you stare At the sun turning into the moon Just when I thought that was So that was Spoons and Knives by American Opera, and, and the, the guy behind American Opera is John B., who's on the phone right now. He'll perform at Middle of the Mitten this weekend, which will happen at Senior Metro Space on Friday. And you are closing the show. How do you feel about closing the show on Friday? I'm pretty excited, but I'm, I'm really excited to see the other bands. Uh, there's a lot, of, a lot of talented musicians that will be playing that night and the night afterwards, so I'm and really excited to who, be a part of it. Who are you most excited about to see or, or did you, to see on the schedule? Uh, I'm Super pumped about everyone. Gun Lake, Life Size Ghost, Sunny Side Up, um, the, the Nathans, Nathan K and Nathan Allen, 
match by match, uh, Vince and Paige. I'm excited about everybody. And how did you get involved with Middle of the Mitten? Um, like we talked earlier about my uh, my former banger best friend, um, the people at the record lounge, um, Hodge, and those guys were super supportive of us, and they started, you know, they booked us on the first couple Middle of the Mittens, and now we're at the fourth one, so I think Hodge started listening to American Opera after your best friend broke up, so... Um, he just—he was kind enough to invite me out this year. So where did you get the name American Opera from? Because I, I, it seems like often sometimes bands will come up with these names and you, you type them in the search engine and then they're hard to find because, you know, they're kind of a general term. I felt like when I would type in American Opera, I'd get all this classical music stuff. But you actually did come up on the search engine, so congratulations on that. But uh, where did where did the, the name American Opera come from? Uh, well, one of my favorite Cold War Kids songs um, it's called Hospital Beds. They, they mention Italian opera, and I thought it was such a rad idea to, you know, to sing about that. So then I just changed it to American opera. I see. So I, I know you said that you mostly decided to go under the name American opera because you didn't want your name to just be, you know, the what what you went by. Um, and I'm curious, um, Lana Del Rey has been getting a lot of hype lately, and I was listening to a story last night of how her alter ego is really what moved her forward. Her real name is Lizzie Grant, but after giving herself kind of a stage name um, that she could kind of hide behind and create this image of her music, she really started to gain popularity. So I'm curious, do you think going under the name like American Opera enhances your image or performances versus just going by um, John B.? It could be, and I hope it does, because uh, I think some people will will hear the the name American Opera and be kind of confused. But I will say that um, when I when I perform on stage, I feel like there isn't like a an alter ego because it, I'm different on stage than I am off stage. I feel like something just comes over me, and I'm more confident in playing and singing when I'm acting like I'm someone that I'm not. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So before we um uh, take this out. We're actually we're going to take this out with a song called "Bright Lights and Amplifiers." Do you want to talk about this song before we play it? Sure. That song is just about uh, doing what you want with your life, and what I want to do is play rock and roll music. I want to, you know, tour the world and and sing every night in a different city. And this song is basically, uh, you know, an explanation to my family and my friends of why I want to do this and what I'm going to do. All right, so the next song we're going to play is called Bright Lights and Amplifiers. But before we get to that, I just want to let our listeners know that Middle of the Mitten is a music festival going on this weekend in Lansing, and Friday shows are at Scene Metro Space. And we'll move to the Loft in Lansing Saturday night, and on the phone is John B. He's the man behind American Opera. John B., thanks so much for joining us tonight. Thank you, Emily. All right, now up next is John B. or American Opera song Bright Lights and Amplifiers here on Impact 89 FM. Walk along a lonesome road Only things that I ever know Is this old beat-up six-string in a blue Ford van In my rock band I'm sorry mama had to leave I hope one day you and dad can forgive me For dropping out of school So I could go and play the fool with my best friends This love is my own I throw a dollar onto a map and then I make it my own. This love is my own. And I will dance and sing atop this globe. Father, forgive me. 
forgive me for what I've done. I promise you one day light will shine from this sun. I know it makes you proud when this whole damn crowd sings my songs. Mommy, daddy, you give me peace. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. Again, that was American Opera with their song, Bright Lights and Amplifiers. They will be closing the night on Friday as part of Middle of the Mitten. It is a music festival going on this weekend. And also performing this weekend on Friday at Scene Metro Space is Gun Lake. And Mark Fain, the uh, front man of Gun Lake, is here in the studio right now to perform. So welcome to the show. Hello. So where did Gun Lake get its name? Uh, well, there is... A lot of people might be aware there's a city uh, or a town uh, probably about an hour west of here, um, pretty close to Grand Rapids, uh, called Gun Lake. And a couple of my friends uh, got married there, and it was during the time when I was writing all these songs. So I saw it as a fitting kind of union um, uh, as, like, I was going through stuff and, like, they were coming together, so... Um, I thought that was pretty cool. So, and I I know that. Uh, have you ever noticed that uh, Gun Lake is in one of Sufjan Stevens songs? I actually, referenced. I actually didn't know that. <laughs> well, fun and, fact and for the evening. I like Stevens a lot, so I you know. So your band hasn't been playing for, or, or hasn't been around for very long, and your music is already getting played on the Impact, which we like to be proud of. Yes, thank you. And in which we hope that musicians themselves, um, you know, find that to be to be good for them. So I'm, I'm curious, can you walk me through the progression of your band and, and how you started and, and where you are now? Um, it's I don't know. It's it's funny because I it, it's been a, a bull that I've had to kind of take by the horns. Uh, many times over um I, i've had probably six lineups um so it's kind of become you know this uh this solo project that is a band also <laughs> whoever uh wants to be in the band um if you're willing and able 
uh, at, at any given moment, you, that's fine. <laughs> and uh, so you'll, you'll see um, probably a different lineup this Friday uh, than you may have seen before if you've seen us before. So it's nothing formal. People can come and go. It's well, not. Well, it's 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 not as formal as I'd like it to be. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I mean I, I guess it's formal, but uh, I also you know have to seek out people that are uh, able to do it. Right. So where have been some of your favorite places you've performed so far? Uh, well, we we did um, CMJ this last fall um, in New York. And that was great. Um, we played The Living Room, which is in the Lower East Side, and we played um, in Brooklyn at uh, Pete's Candy Store, which was, I mean, it's basically like this, it kind of resembles a train car um, from the 30s or something. Um, and everybody's kind of packed into it, but it's really great because it's very intimate and everybody's very, you know, attentive because it's kind of like literally tunnel visioned on the band playing. Um, so that was really fun. And... Uh, yeah, so those shows were great. And, you know, Mittenfest shows are always good uh, at Woodruff's and Ypsilanti. Um, and we're excited to do a, another Mittenfest this Friday. Yeah, so so Mittenfest is usually what goes on in Ypsilanti in the wintertime. And now we have yeah. Middle of the Mitten, which is right. happening in Lansing. So have you played Middle of the Mitten before? And what are kind of, can you can compare or contrast these two different festivals? No, I mean, I. You know, I, I think I, I've just been in email contact with Joel from the Record Lounge, and uh, he seems to be doing an awesome job, like organizing it all and, and getting you know local press you know on board. Um, I don't know. I don't think it's for a charity that I know of. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to uh, misspeak there, but um, the Mittenfest in Ypsilanti is um, for eight two six Michigan, which is the um, charity. Writing charity started by Dev- David Eggers um, to like teach kids writing and reading and stuff. Nice. Um, so that's really cool, you know, to have a, a festival in Michigan that's, you know, it has tons of great bands and tons of great talent from around the state and around the Midwest, but also, you know, it's going to, for a great cause. So that's really cool. Um, so yeah, I, I, I hope that I, I didn't. Totally, just like blow it, and maybe m- middle of the mitten is going towards something. Like as well. <laughs> well, we can learn more this weekend because that'll be going on all weekend. But I- I've been noticing often that people will um, that more and more it seems that you know shows are collaborating with one another, like middle of the mitten or mitten fast, where these Michigan musicians are coming together. And often mm-hmm. when you hear these musicians, a lot of times. Michigan will be an inspiration for their songs. So there's a lot of love for Michigan, at least in in America, on our folk music right now. Why do you think that is? Um, well, I think it's. It, I mean, I, I don't have a a good answer for that necessarily. I don't have like a right answer. I don't think um, I, I'm an expert on that issue. But you know, maybe um, you know you can look at a lot of things, but it's kind of the 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 downtrodden Midwesterner um, that we're sort of experiencing right now. The, uh, I mean, we're one of the last um, things that hasn't had, like, a, a folk explosion or, like, a, a you know, a, a music explosion. Um, you know, well, I mean, I see, I don't even... That, that's, like, the, there's been Motown and, and, and we had the garage rock scene in Detroit. Um so now I guess it's it's gone to folk. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I, I can kind of see that trend. So without further ado, would you be willing to play a song for us? Yes. Yes. Um, 
I'll play this first one. I'll play is uh, an older one from the album, and uh, yeah, it's called Trees. <clears throat> time and every line has the power to open your eyes you're invited to make it all true frankly things just aren't right we walked the path of lose lose where the earth all had dried but somewhere our shadows are fears where trees never die It's not hard to find If we turn off our minds Your heart will tell you no lie Take me to the place Where the trees still grow I never thought we'd leave there For such a cold Love was withheld When I finally found the display Coins down the well My wish is a waste And you don't want a taste Of what we promised ourselves Take me to the place Where the trees still stays intact that a road can be found just give me a sign and we'll travel all night to the place we would be now take me to the place where the trees still grow I never thought we'd leave there for such
And that was Trees by Gun Lake. And in the studio is Mark Fain, the the uh, lead <coughs> man of, of Gun Lake. So I'm curious, what inspires you to write music? Um, <clears throat> I think uh, personal strife, um, things I see in the world. Um, I mean, I guess when you are a musician, you have to find some way, <laughs> something to write about. And uh, I guess for me, it's um, just anything that's going on in in the world, in my life, um, how I see things, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, who? What bands do you do you find yourself performing with a lot, or that you enjoy performing with a lot, playing shows with? Um, uh, in in Ann Arbor, Ipsy, we play with um, Little Island Lake a lot, another lake band. Um, they they have sort of a Sufjan Stevens vibe. Um, we play with uh, this awesome garage punk band uh amateur anthropologist who are also awesome um you know back in the day um when they were playing more shows we'd play with lightning love and uh chris bathgate before he would go on you know national tours Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh yeah so there's a lot of a lot of local talent um in you know in southeast michigan uh that we've that we've enjoyed you know being part of. And, and how would you can describe or, or compare or contrast the, the music scene in Southeast Michigan versus Lan- the Lansing area? Well, I, you know, I, I, we haven't played much here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we've played with uh, Joe Hurtler. We played a show with, with them when they came down to, uh, to Ypsilanti. And uh, I know that he's doing great things and he's, he's awesome. Um, Jeff Pianchi, is uh I hope I pronounced that right. He's mm-hmm. doing awesome stuff. Um so you know it, it's I don't know if it's that different, you know, really. Um and I, I guess really small houses has roots in Lansing too. And uh yeah, we've played a lot of shows with, with uh Jeremy of Small Houses. Um and and that's really cool stuff. And that's sort of like it all sort of like kind of there's there's def- definitely bridges there. Um I don't know, you, you, but you, you hear things, um, like I, I just recently uh, listened to, to American Opera, and you can definitely hear uh, the remnants of, of, like, sort of that, that post, uh, post like, I, I know this is a dirty word, but I don't want to use it as a dirty word, um, like post-emo kind of stuff, um, which, you know, I, I completely was totally into, um, so I don't, I, 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 again, I'm not using that as an insult, but, like, you hear that more in some of the Lansing artists, I think, than the Southeast Michigan stuff. And what do you hear more in Southeast Michigan? Uh, you hear, like, you know, aside from, from folk and stuff, you hear a lot of rock and roll. You know, you hear, like, Detroit Rock City kind of kind of stuff, um, like rough and raw, um, garagey, and... Uh, you know, with with the emergence of the Black Keys and stuff, that's sort of um, influenced kind of some some blues rock kind of stuff to to um, start popping up there too. Um, and a lot of and you know, I mean, Detroit is huge for electronic stuff too, and so there's a lot of synth pop, um, kind of aggressive synth pop there too, which is it's it's awesome to be around so many different different styles. Well, in the studio is Mark Fain. He is the front man of the band called Gun Lake. They'll be performing at the middle of the Mitten, which is a festival going on in Lansing this weekend. And Gun Lake will be performing Friday night, uh, later on Friday night, at Scene Metro Space. 
So, Mark, would you like to take us out with a song? Uh, sure. Um, I was I was going to tune differently. I didn't know that this would all be one one thing, but I'll, in the interest of uh, not tuning on the radio, I'll play a different one. Um, okay, this song is also on the album, uh, and it's called Stormy Country. I was walking through the stormy country You were walking through the stormy country And the rain, it pierced right through our hides I gave my hand then We ran against the rain We found a roof and everything was changed You moved so very close to me Safe inside our submarine To a polyrhythmic washer sound We wrung each other out We bowed to what until now Was ruefully drowned by the sovereign art Of our solitary heart. We made our home in the unknown, but we had all. Studios Mark Fain. He's the front man of Gun Lake. They'll be performing uh, this Friday at Scene Metro Space as part of the Middle of the Mitten Music Festival, which is going on Friday and Saturday. And Saturday it will be happening at the Loft. Friday again at Scene Metro Space. So, Mark Fain, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you so much. You're listening to Impact Exposure. 
For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Prime where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Friday nights at 10 p.m., get ready for The Mechanical Pulse, where we're spinning all the house, trance, drum and bass, electro, ambient, and remixed music you need to get the weekend started. You'll hear live interviews and DJs spinning straight from the Impact Studios and the best new music on the scene. So tune in every Friday night at 10 p.m. for Mechanical Pulse. Only on 88.9 The Impact. Have you ever considered donating your blood? If not, perhaps you might reconsider. By the time this announcement is through, 15 new people will need blood. In fact, blood is needed by one in every 10 hospital patients, and there is almost always a shortage. There is no substitute for human blood. It cannot be manufactured. It can only come from those willing to donate. To learn more or make an appointment, visit redcrossblood.org. Reconsider blood donation. It's about life. Now back to Impact Exposure. You are tuned to Impact Exposure. I am your host, Emily Fox. MSU's facility for rare isotope beams recently got the go-ahead from MSU's Board of Trustees to move forward with the project. To talk about the future, uh, the future research facility is FRIB project manager Thomas Glasmacher. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So Tell us a little bit about FRIB for those that may not know. Well, FRIB is a game changer. It's a game changer for the state of Michigan, a game changer for MSU and for the country. We'll be the leading facility in the country to make rare isotopes and to enable scientists to make discoveries with those rare isotopes. In the near term, though, we're going to have um, a lot of construction going on. We have an investment about $600 million dollars. Um, to establish the facility, and then the economic impact over the next 10 years is a billion dollars going into the state of Michigan. Wow. And what has your role been so far in this project? Well, this project has been a long time in the making, and there's a whole team. Um, My role was the proposal manager, the capture manager. We wrote the proposal with a team of up to 40 people in the end in Acos Hall. And then when we were chosen by the Department of Energy in 2008, I became the project manager. And then starting in 2009, we put the team together and we've been designing FRIP. And now we are ready with the construction, the civil design for civil construction. And in fact, next week we will start site preparation after the Borders Trustees gave us the go-ahead go last week. Yeah, I was curious. They said they gave you the go-ahead for the next step. So what are the next steps now in the process? Yeah, there, there, there are many steps in the process. And the next step is that um, – um, on Wilson Road, we will prepare the site. Um, MSU has relocated some utilities, and if you drive by uh, Wilson Road next week, you'll see some trucks, and we'll take out the parking lot and the topsoil, and we prepare the site for construction. Then in March, we have a big review by MSU, and then we have a big review by the Department of Energy in April, and after that, we want to start excavation in about May. In, in earlier this month, uh, well, well, first let me ask, when is, when is this project expected to be completed? Okay, it's, it's, um, we schedule it to be complete in 2020 at the end of March, but we're working towards completing it in October 2018. So with all these long projects, there's some uncertainty, but we're very committed to delivering it by 2018. But that depends on the funding we get, and Congress appropriates funding every year. And because while there is a plan, we can't predict the congressional appropriation. That's why there is 18 months of float at the end. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, because I, I saw that earlier this month there was some talk that FRIB's federal funding was in question. So is that something that can come up every single year where you may not know if you can get further funding to have this project begin or, so or move forward? So these long-term federally funded projects, there is um, – you know they can they can be called in question every year because the president requests funding and Congress appropriates funding, and that happens every year. And we're in the season where the president puts out his presidential budget request for fiscal year 2013. That comes out in two weeks, and then sometime during the summer or the fall, Congress will appropriate the federal budget for 2013. So there's always some uncertainty every year. So with, with the Facility for Rare Isotope Beams, or FRIB, um, when, when scientists come to, to do research, what, what will FRIB help – what scientific questions will FRIB help answer? Yeah, there's really um, – there, there are multiple scientific questions. One is in the area of basic nuclear science. Scientists will figure out what holds the atomic nuclei together, the stuff we're made of. We want to make a predictive theory how many protons and neutrons can stick together. We will enable scientists to investigate how the elements are made in stars. We still don't quite understand how the heavy elements are made. But then there are also many applications of this rare isotope science to society. So there are applications in medical science. Every year, 20 million procedures are performed on folks with with medical rare isotopes. We will be able to make any rare isotope in research quantities, make those available to physicians and other scientists so they can find new cures. There's applications in homeland security um, and, and, and national security applications too. None of the work we do at MSU is classified, um, but we do basic science that can be applied to many different areas. So how can it be applied to national security, I'm curious? Because I, I, I read that isotopes discovered may have important applications for medicine, yeah, na- national security um, and other uses. But but how does national security come into play? It comes into play that the folks who work in national secu- security, they want to measure certain reactions, and we can measure them here. They can be published in the peer-reviewed literature, and then they can take them home to their labs where they do, do classified work and apply them to national security questions. The detection technologies we develop at EFRIP, they can be applied to cargo scanning, homeland security, many different areas. So without getting too deep into the science behind it, how mm-hmm. does EFRIB compare or contrast to what MSU currently has now, which is the superconducting cyclotron? Yeah. So um, the superconducting cyclotron, or the NSCL, the National Superconducting Cyclotron Lab, we've been doing rare isotope research since the 1990s. We've been leading the field for 20 years. But these cyclotrons, they actually date back about 10, 20 years earlier. And while they have served us really well, they're not all that powerful. So EFRIB will be about um, maybe 400 to 2,000 times more powerful. And the power translates directly into discovery potential. The more powerful the primary beam is, the more the rarer the rare isotopes are that we can make. And so while it's the same kind of science, it takes it to a whole new level. And EFRIB will be the world's leading most powerful rare isotope accelerator. And, and I understand that MSU's nuclear physics graduate program ranked number one in the nation um, as, of, as of 2010, according to the U.S. News and World Report. Is that because we are now getting EFRIB? Does that have a, a, a big um, influence into that, that ranking? Well, so I don't really know, but there is a correlation in time because we were ranked second after MIT for many, many years. And then 
the first survey after we got AFRIP that surpassed MIT. So I don't know if there's a causal relationship, but the shows a relationship in time. Yes. Well, in the studio is Thomas Glassmacher. He is um, the AFRIB project coordinator, and he was here to talk about AFRIB as well as its advancements since since it has been granted to MSU and and the, and the future of the, the rare isotope uh, facility. So, Thomas Glassmacher, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you. You're listening to Impact Exposure. General, we've just received word of an invasion. Speak quickly, maggot. Is it those Canadians again? I don't know, sir. We just heard that Monday at 8 p.m. the Impact will be invaded. You stupid ninny. That's the Asian invasion. It's the poppiest, catchiest, and all-around toe-tapping his music out of the Korea, Japan, and China. What, sir? I'm no good with Asian dialects. Shut up and listen to the music, private. That catchy beat knows no language barrier. Now move out, everyone. Sir, yes, sir. The Asian invasion. Monday nights from 8 till 10 on 89 FM. The Impact. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Thursday nights from 10 until 2 a.m. Listen to the Hours of Power, the scariest and only metal show in the mid-Michigan area. Only on Impact Primetime. Now back to Impact Exposure. tuned in Bad Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. MSU Beyond Coal is getting behind MSU's energy transition plan. The goal is to stop MSU from relying on coal for power and to switch to 100% renewable energy. To talk about MSU Beyond Coal and their efforts is Callie Brewley. Welcome to the show. Thank you. So how long has your organization been around for? And, and, and tell us a little bit about MSU Beyond Coal. Well, we started in the spring of 2010, so we've been around for a little bit over two years now. Um, our goal is we're an environmental group, and we are trying to get a commitment out of the administration to transition off of burning coal and onto 100% renewable energy with an aggressive timeline. So I understand that MSU relies heavily on coal. We only Currently, we only have about 2%. We rely only 2% on renewable energy. Um, I guess, what are the issues behind coal? Well, coal is the single most destructive industrial process we employ in our country. Um, every step in coal's process, from mining it to burning it, and even to disposing of dirty coal ash waste, is bad not only for the environment, but also public health. Burning coal puts toxins like arsenic, lead, and mercury into the air we breathe and the water we drink, and those toxins are known to cause higher levels of diseases like asthma and autism in areas surrounding coal plants. So here at MSU, we are contributing to this immensely. We burn uh, over 175,000 tons of coal every year, which is nearly 480 tons every single day. And that makes MSU home to the largest on-campus coal plant in the entire country. Yeah, I understand that MSU's power plant is expected to reach its current capacity for steam in 2018 and electricity in, in 2040. So we need to act pretty fast on this, right? Right. So you guys recently talked to the Board of Trustees that kind of make all these decisions, I believe it was last Friday, with it, your energy transition plan or what you hope to see. Talk about what your plan entailed and what kind of reactions you got. Right. So um, first, the 
Do you know about the Energy Transition Steering Committee? Well, tell our listeners、okay. for those that well, may not know. Last spring,、um, the administration formed the Energy Transition Steering Committee, whose goal it was was to include、uh, was to make a plan for 100% renewable energy on campus. How are we going to get there? What do we need to do? Because You know they were they saw that the coal plant is reaching the end of its life and something needs to be done.、Um, and they actually、uh, the plan is completed. It was released earlier this month. But the problem is that though it says you know we are going to use this plan to transition MSU to 100% renewable energy, the biggest goal in that plan is to reach 40% renewable energy by 2035. But it doesn't really go into detail past then what we're going to do past then. So.、Um, In response to that,、um, some students from MSU Beyond Coal, along with some students from MSU Greenpeace, have been working over the last couple months with some clean energy experts in the area,、um, creating a alternative plan that will, you know, move the the university to 100% renewable energy with a much more aggressive timeline.、Um, we right now we're still in the works. We are. Going to be done late February, but、um, tentatively we will be fossil fuel free by 2030 under this plan. And can you tell me a little bit about、uh, of, of what you outlined in your plan? Right. So the first thing that needs to be done is to reduce the demand of energy we need as a campus because. We have the largest on-campus coal plant in the country, but it's also a pretty large campus. So we use we need a lot of energy. But first, you can.、Um, You know, you put、uh, energy efficiency programs in buildings, so things like lighting retrofits、um, and retro commissioning.、Um, so updating lighting fixtures to LED lighting, you know,、um, new、uh, faucets and water fixtures that will save on water, and you know the amount of water we need to heat, and then also changing the infrastructure of the building, so the shell insulation, green roofs, things like that, which could potentially cut. Back on our the amount of energy MSU needs by about a third, so that would be where we would start. And then going from there, you know, instituting renewable energy technologies on campus like wind, solar, and geothermal. So, how would the energy transition affect tuition? Well,、um, that's one of the problems we have with the energy transition steering committee's plan. Is it's kind of you know just. Assumed with that plan that all of the、um, the funding for this project would come from student tuition, but in our plan we're providing other options. You know, there's lots of donors that would be able to,、um, you know, maybe help fund this, or you know, there's things called a revolving loan fund where you know we would find a donor. So say MSU spends fifty million dollars a year on coal. Um, we would find a donor that could, you know, take the initial investment in renewable energy retrofitting, things like that,、um, and they would make that investment, and then all the money that would have been going towards coal in the coal plant would now go to that investor until we pay them back 150 percent. So this can be done, and there's also funding from the government grants. There's lots of ways to fund this where it won't need to affect student tuition. So I understand that we've already seen 18 schools make a commitment to transition to 100% renewable energy, and four of those are in the Big Ten. So I'm curious, do you know much about where where the energy comes from from other Big Ten universities? Right.、Um, so one of them, University of Illinois, they、um, just 
uh, last year, uh, got their, you know, transition plan passed. And they're just, you know, the same types of renewable energies like wind and solar and geothermal um, in a, as opposed to burning coal. I see. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how do you feel that uh, MSU Beyond Coal has made headway so far in, in making these changes at MSU towards a different way of looking at energy? Well, um, over the past two years, um, along with MSU Greenpeace, we have um, collected nearly 10,000 petitions from students that want to see an end of the end to the use of coal on campus. So I think just generally over the past years, we've been not only educating students and just trying to gain support and telling them, you know, that a lot of students don't even know that we have a coal plant on campus, that we're burning coal, but not, um, they also don't even know how bad burning coal is for, like I said earlier, not only the environment, but also public health. So just general reaching out to the students and, you know, the MSU community and the greater Lansing community as well. So how soon do you do you see these changes happening? And then what steps need to happen next to meet your goal? All right. Well, so our next steps are we actually have a meeting scheduled with President Simon at the end of February where we are going to be presenting our alternative plan to her. And then from there, we'll be working with a uh, meeting with different members of the Board of Trustees. And then in April, the Steering Committee's Energy Transition Plan on April 13th is on the schedule for the Board of Trustees meeting to be voted on as an action. So that's kind of the day, the decision day. You know, are they going to vote for the Energy Transition Steering Committee's plan? Are they going to vote for the students' plan that we've been working on? Are they going to vote for no plan at all and just kind of continue with business as usual, burning coal until... You know, we go back to the drawing board and think of something else. So this semester is our most important semester yet, and it could mean really big things for the campaign. So just to clarify, so um, the energy transition plan has kind of been around. It's through, I think, B Spartan Green and, and things like that, and that's been happening for about a year or so. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right. Yep. So a year or so, and so they've been trying to develop this new plan. Um, and you guys are trying to develop a, a plan as well. Some of you guys are involved in the energy transition team at MSU. Um, and then all, and then so you guys are both going to present your plans in April. Right. Um, so there were two students, um, Talia, she's the president of Beyond Coal, and also Adam Leiter, the vice president of Greenpeace, both sat on the steering committee, but, um, it kind of felt as though like the student voice wasn't really being heard on the committee and that, you know, we would have been asking for this 100% re- renewable energy um, commitment with an aggressive timeline. But all we got out of it was, okay, we're going to be at 40% renewables by 2035. So that's why we've, we kind of took it as an opportunity to say, okay, um, this isn't what the students are asking for. So we're going to work on our own plan and we're going to show you that this transition isn't impossible. It is possible and it can be done a lot sooner than you think it is. So we're really excited about it for this semester. So what would you say are the biggest struggles you've faced so far regarding your efforts to, for MSU to, to be dependent on 100% renewable energy for its, for its energy? Um, I would say our, I mean, it's not necessarily that the struggle is um, getting 100% renewable energy on campus because um, it is possible, like you said, 18 schools in the country have already made this commitment and are already working towards getting 100% renewable energy on their campus. But I would say more of our struggle has been from getting the administration to support us and, you know, uh, support what the students have been asking for, what 10,000 students have been asking for. 
So where can people go for more information if they want to learn more about the Energy Transition Plan or MSU Beyond Coal? Well, um, you can learn more about MSU Beyond Coal. We have a Facebook page. Um, just search MSU Beyond Coal. We also have a Twitter account. Um, we also have a website, msubeyondcoal.wordpress.com. Um, and also, if you want to learn more, how you can get involved, um, you can come to our meetings at 7 o'clock on Tuesdays in 304 Natural Sciences. Um, and then as far as the energy transition plan goes, um, we haven't released a full version of ours yet because, like I said, it's still in the works. We're still, we just want to get it perfect before we present it um, to President Simon and the board. But the energy transition steering committee plan, you can find it at energytransition.msu.edu if they want to pull up that it's like a 100-page long document. Well, Kelly, really, thank you so much for coming in tonight to talk about MSU Beyond Coal and your efforts thus far. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you for having us. You're listening to Impact Exposure. For some high school students, school can be a dangerous place. A lot of gamers look at you as a game member, too. For some, just being in school can be a struggle. I wouldn't go to school. I didn't care about what my mom said. My mom would tell me, like, what are you doing for yourself? You're not doing nothing. But despite all the obstacles, inside every high school student, is a graduate. People look down on you if you don't have a diploma. I want to graduate because they say I won't. Go to BoostUp.org and find out how you can help a friend, a son, a daughter finish high school. BoostUp.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Army and the Ad Council. For more variety than you'll hear on any other station, listen to the Impact Primetime, Primetime. where you can find a different specialty show every night of the week. Tuesday nights from 8 until midnight, the Impact's progressive torch and twang brings you the best in alternative country and grassroots music. Only Impact Now back to Impact Exposure. Impact Exposure. I'm your host, Emily Fox. And now for the Michigan storytelling segment. On the phone is Keith Taylor. He is an author as well as the coordinator of the undergraduate creative writing program at U of M. Welcome to the show, Keith Taylor. Thank you, Emily. It's good to be here. So you've traveled a lot in your life and have done a wide variety of odd jobs. I have. Uh, does that influence your writing at all? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, you try to think sometimes, okay, well, I'm not going to have to be necessarily swayed by all the things I've done, but but uh, absolutely, I'm completely swayed by them. I'm, I, I'm, I get occupied by the stories of the things I've heard and known. I get, I get preoccupied by the places I've been to. I get preoccupied by the place I live in now. So, yeah, all of those things end up influencing me, whether I want them to or not. So you once co-hosted a radio program called called Storylines America Midwestern Literature. Can you, can you tell me about that show? It was a 13-week show on Michigan Public Radio out of you know, WUOM down here. Um, and uh, it, was, it was funded by the American Library Association, and they picked 13 books ranging from Oh, Huck Finn to a recent novel by Charles Baxter called The Feast of Love. And we would uh, interview authors, we would interview critics, it was call-in, it was live radio. You know how scary that can be. Um, and uh, went on for 13 weeks. It was pretty interesting, about 10 years ago now. So you were an artist-in-residence at Isle Royal National Park once. What was that like, being an artist-in-residence in that secluded island? Oh, it was fabulous. It was fabulous. I, I've 
since I always was someone who went to national parks as a kid and things like that, I always wanted to grow up to be a ranger. So this was as close as I got to be because I had to give a poetry reading at the national park. But it's a, it's a great. It's a, I recommend it to people to try. It's a it's a you you apply as an artist in residence. They take mostly visual artists, but a few word people over the years, and uh, you go there and you basically get two or three weeks to sit alone in a lovely little cabin and listen to the wolves and look out at Lake Superior and see if the, the muse strikes. And she did strike for me, which was great. And, and what is your favorite thing to write about? Well, I've gone all over the map in my, my life, and I hope I continue to go all over the map. I think probably the reputation I have right now, although it wasn't necessarily the one I had 25 years ago, um, is as a nature writer of the upper Midwest and, um, and of the Great Lakes Basin. And I'm, I'm pretty content with that. Excellent. So you teach creative writers at U of M. I do. Um, what are some of your favorite assignments you give them to help them become better writers? <laughs> well, it depends. It depends on the level that I'm teaching. Most of the time now, I'm teaching graduate students, and they don't need a lot of assignments. They just need someone to tell them which direction they're going in. Uh, but one of the ones when I do teach undergraduates, um, sort of a standard writer teacher thing, creative writer teacher thing, is make people go to museums and write poems off museums. Well, I make them go to a natural history museum rather than a, rather than an art museum. This is this is just a little bit different. Or I make them uh, go outside and try to write something outside, particularly at an uncomfortable time in the middle of winter or the middle of a rainstorm or the middle of the night, mm-hmm. um, and try to sort of just just to play with their heads a little bit and see what what uh, what can come into their imaginations in a different in a different environment and in a time when they would usually be there. Excellent. So without further ado, can you do a reading for us? Sure, I'd love to. This is a poem, um, and I'm not going to tell you the lake that it's on. Somebody can look it up because I don't want to give away this wonderful secret because too many people will go there. Hmm. Uh, But it's called Directions to North Fishtail Bay, and it's a bay on a a Michigan lake that I think is uh, close to paradise. So Directions to North Fishtail Bay. If you paddle down past the point where the eagles hang out, You're almost there. It's best like this, a hint of fog flittering across the lake before a breeze. No sun, sky gray but calm, not a ripple or a wave. Just round the next point where the sand drops away fast under luminous deep green water, and you made it. Go now. It looks like rain. You'll hear a hermit thrush calling, hidden in the pines or in a cedar swamp, where, when you look hard into the dark, you will see a profusion of iris, almost purple and fresh on this day, the very day you've come alone to North Fishtail Bay. There's thunder in the west. Go now. It looks like rain. And for the Michigan Storytelling segment, that was Keith Taylor. He is the author and coordinator um, of the Undergraduate Creative Writing Program at U of M. And that was um, his poem, Directions to North Fishtail Bay. Keith Taylor, thanks so much for joining us for the Michigan Storytelling segment. Thanks for having me, Emily. Broadcasting from the campus of Michigan State University, you've been listening to Impact Exposure. Exposure. 